You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, One Thing is Necessary, recorded on December the 4th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. I hope that you've been enjoying uh, the preaching series through 1 Timothy. I hope that you've been challenged, hope that you've been blessed, hope that you've been encouraged by the Word of God. Last week in particular with Pastor Kevin, as he was working through the text and the thought that, that women, that women should adorn themselves in respectable attire, because that is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, right? And, and from that sermon, there was a statement that was made, and I quote, a Christian woman is not to seek the attention of the room by outer beauty, but to attract the attention of God with what he defines as true beauty, which, which really is going to lead us to today. We're going to take a small detour from 1 Timothy, but I think you're going to see a correlation between the two because Jesus' interaction with two women today in the scriptures, you're going to see he's going to tell one, the one thing that's necessary. If any human is going to have inner true beauty, he's going to tell you, what that is. And so I think you'll see the bridge. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So I'll give you a moment as you open your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we want to give you a Bible. So make sure that you get one on your way out. If you have a smartphone, you can download it there. But will you listen as I read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And when I'm done, we're just going to work our way through that text for the rest of the morning. Now, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now listen, I love the scene that is before us in the Bible. I love the reality that we're a bunch of messed up people who need Jesus. And I love the picture that's being painted because it's a picture of hospitality and of friendship. And and by the way, church, listen, December, like any month, is a great month to invite people into your home, to love them, to, to share a meal with them. And it's also a great time to go to someone's home and enjoy hospitality because we know hospitality both blesses the giver and the receiver. So I have no doubt that Martha was greatly blessed to be able to have the opportunity to invite Jesus into his home. Jesus and those who were with him, and we don't know how many of that people that were. That could have been him and his disciples, but he just sent out the 72. So this might have been quite a number of people that Martha had invited into her home. And I love because Jesus himself says, foxes have holes, right? And birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And yet we see that even though Jesus in his earthly life was homeless, he was not without a place where he could chill, kick off his sandals and enjoy some hospitality. So this would have been a great blessing. Well, let's take the time now to look at the two ladies and their posture within the text. Let's start with, let's start with Mary in verse 39. Verse 39 once again says, And she, 
Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, in our culture and in this moment, that may not even sound strange to you other than she's sitting on the floor and wondering, can't we get this lady a chair? But I got to tell you, it would be much more different and probably much more scandalous thing to have a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi than we even understand right now. Because this was not a common place for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi. Well, why? Well, number one, it, it was not common within that culture or that time for a woman to have a rabbi as her teacher and for her to be a disciple. Because the, the seat at the feet of a rabbi or a teacher was that of a disciple, right? And, and if you think, well, how do we know that? Well, I, I, I stumbled upon some quotes from some different rabbis as I was looking in the time frame of that time and to see, can we find any quotes that might point us to that truth? And I, I stumbled across a, a man named Rabbi Eliezer. Now listen, listen to his response to a woman who actually comes up to him with a question about the scriptures. Now, he's a teacher of the scriptures. So a woman goes up to him, and she asks him a question, and I want you to hear his response, and I quote, a woman's wisdom is at the spindle, end quote. That's, I have a question about the Bible. Okay, yeah, hey, but uh, your place is at the spindle. Let me translate that maybe, because it's like spindle, that really doesn't help me. Uh, how about if we were, I think we were to say that today, maybe it would sound something like this, get back to knitting and weaving where you belong, Wow. Wow. And you think, well, he probably just had a really bad day. He doesn't really talk like that normally. Well, actually, he said something else I found. Let's, let's, let's quote him once again. Quote, better, listen to this one, better the Torah, Bible, law, be burned than to be studied by a woman. <laughs> what? First off, I'm highly offended. I have a wife, I have a daughter, and, and I hope you're all offended by that statement. Let's translate that one. Listen, it's better that we burn God's law than you burn dinner. Back to the kitchen. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. First off, I love, I love that unlike some in his culture, Jesus breaks all the molds. I love that he breaks all the molds in the way that he interacts with women and children and all of humanity, he encouraged women to study the scriptures. He encouraged them to learn the Bible. He loved to teach them. And he said, you're welcome here at the feet to receive my teaching. Have a seat. Man, that would have been a scandalous thing. I want you to know here at Harvest Community Church also, your elders, your leaders, your pastors, we side with Jesus on all things. I hope that goes without being said. We believe Jesus, he's king. We submit to him. He is the good shepherd. We're the under shepherds. His Bible is our guide. We submit to the Bible. And, and we believe that all humans should sit at the feet of Jesus and receive the word humbly. We want everyone to come to the scriptures and to be taught. Right? I mean, that's what we want. Why? Because that's what the Lord wants. That's what he desires. That you come and to receive the word you receive humbly. All right, so that's, that's Mary. That's her posture. She's sitting at the feet of the Lord. What a great place to be. But she has a sister. How about Martha? Well, let's pick it back up in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Tell her then to help me. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Are you you picturing this scene? I love the the reality of the Bible and the brokenness even within siblings, right? We have two sisters. I had two sisters. I'm not going to go there. But Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Martha is on her feet doing all the work, getting everything ready. And my guess, my guess is everything started off pretty good, right? But maybe as time went on and she's like running around here and there, Martha's seeing Mary, she's getting all the teaching. And then like some of the pots and pans, they probably start to clang together, maybe a little louder. Maybe some of the cupboard doors get closed with a little bit more authority. And if they're, you know, making some dough, they're pounding that. And, is everything fine? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's just fine. You ever walk into that kitchen? Yeah, it's supposed to be warm in here. We're cooking, but it's like 40 degrees cooler. <sighs> you ever been there? <laughs> you ever been there? How about in your family gatherings? We just had Thanksgiving. Tell me, you, can I get an amen? Somebody in this room had that moment. You don't have to admit it because they're probably with you, and that's a good thing. So listen, teeth, the temperature is rising in the kitchen, yes, but it's rising in the relationship between the two sisters. It really is. Martha, who was distracted with much serving, gave in to her irritation. And she says to the Lord Jesus, she says, do you not care, Jesus? Lord, do you not care? And if you do, will you tell Mary to, you know, hop up, give me a little hand? I, you know, it's plain to see that Martha has allowed her desire to provide probably what would be the best of meals to Jesus to carry her away. She found herself alone with much serving, and she saw her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus. No doubt she probably wanted to be there, but in that moment, under all that pressure, she forgot what it is she was doing and who it is she's talking to. And she, she well, first off, she asks him a question, and then she gives him some advice. Ah, I don't know. Talk about an awkward moment. Can't you see it? I mean, her cheeks are probably flush. She probably got some, you know, powder on her face and her hair's a wreck and maybe her apron's a little bit messy. And she's a hot mess in herself in, in that moment. And she says, Jesus, do you not care? If you do, let me give you some advice. Prop up, Mary. You ever been there? I have. More times than I'd even like to admit more times. We're such a messed up bunch of people. If we could just be honest, it'd be nice. Nothing shows our brokenness and neediness in that moment than when all the stuff comes to boil and you just kind of lose your stuff. And, and we've been there. Trust me. If you have been there, I've already confessed I've been there more times than I'd like to admit. You, good news. Ready? You're not in this puddle of mess alone. You're actually in some good company. Do you remember the disciples with Jesus when they're out on the Sea of Galilee? Storm starts to happen, right? Jesus taking cat nap. If you don't remember, how about you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 41. And let's refresh our memory from the Word of God. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And when they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, that's a, that's a great question. The disciples are asking the right question when they say, who is this then? Because here's the thing. What they're saying is, this is God. I mean, who gets to say to the wind and to the sea, calm, peace, be still, bam, happens. They're like, whoa, light bulbs clicking off in their brain. He's God. But listen, it's not an information problem because how many times do we already know, yes, Jesus is Lord. He is King. He is God. And yet when our lives are not going the way we expect them to go, we can find ourselves many times saying, Lord, do you not care? Do you not see? And God, if you do see, I know you can do all things. Why don't you do that? Right? We've been there. We get distracted. I mean, listen, whether it's in our marriages, God, you know, you've said it's good that we be together one flesh. I'm striving. I'm trying by the grace you've given me to make this work. Do you not see? It's a wreck. It's not working. Do you not care? Or how about work? God, I'm working hard to provide for my family, but everywhere I turn, it just seems like it's not going the way that I thought it would go. Do you not care? Friendships, relationships, the shatteredness of this world, church ministries, I'm pouring myself out. Why can't people see that we need more people? The fruit, it's there. Listen, the harvest is plentiful. We need more laborers. God, do you not care? Send more laborers. I know you can see. Will you not send them? Help. Do you not care? We've said it. I've said it. I may not have said it verbally, but internally, man, I have said it. And you know, the beauty is in the moments when we're distracted and we ask such a silly question of God, knowing of course he cares. Of course he cares. It's in the storms and the stresses of life when they surround us that we need to hear Jesus say, just like he did in Luke 12, 22 through 32, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are they, are you than these birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. right. We need to hear that because, listen, being followers of Jesus does not exempt us from the storms and the stresses of this life because he loves us way too much to ever allow that to happen. 
Yet we must be careful because there are many distractions along the way. Speaking of which, back to Martha. Remember where we left her? She got the rosy cheeks, beads of sweat on the forehead, flower. She's a wreck. And she's troubled and she's anxious about many things. But I want to notice how Jesus responds to her in her moment of weakness. So picking it back up in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Question, how do you envision Jesus' tone and facial expression in that moment? I, I ask this because, listen, many times I ask this question to a lot of different people because I think how you answer that question in your own heart and mind right now, it tells a lot about your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love it, because here's the thing. Is Jesus using a frustrated tone? Is he like, Martha, Martha, can't believe you. Look at you, you're just not doing very well today, are you, girl? Now back into the kitchen, we are got a lot of hungry disciples. We've been working very hard, and Mary, well, she's busy. Does he do that? I've I, I got to say, I don't think so. Um, you know, is he like, how do yeah, of course I care, Martha. I mean, I am God, right? I do care. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. I love that Jesus is not some aggressive ogre in our moments of weakness. But on the flip side of that coin, I also love that he's not some passive pansy. And what do I mean by that? You ever see someone respond to someone in their moment of angst and they're like very passive about it and the worst thing that could ever happen is that you'd be anxious and so oh, immediately, what do I need to do? I need to fix it. Okay, disciples, everybody, into the kitchen. You, you start this. Mary, make... Everyone's running around. What do we do? We're just making sure Martha doesn't have a bad day. So let's get to busy. Not passive. And yet he's not aggressive. He's not cruel to her in her moment of weakness. Why? Because Jesus is compassionate and he is gentle and he knows we need help. (laughs) And he comes to give that help. But the question is, how do you picture him in that moment? Because I I ask that question as many times, it will display as to whether you have a hard time understanding God's grace. I ask myself that question. You know, many times within the church, and I'm not talking harvest, I'm talking churchdom within the world, we can make the mistake of starting out with a purpose-driven life, which, by the way, that's a great thing. But then we can take a couple wrong turns, and we end up on the performance-driven life, full of stress, full of anxiety. And it isn't until Jesus reels us back in and he says, how about we try the gospel-driven life? Okay, Lord, let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Here's the good news about the gospel. His love for us is in spite of us. That is the good news. He's not loving you when you've got it together. And if we could be real, you probably very rarely ever have it really together. Me too. We're in good company. That's the gospel. Is he loves us in spite of us. He loves us in the midst of all our mess. And I, I, So how does he respond? Because... It much matters greatly how he does respond, not how you think he responds. So the Bible is our truth. How does he respond? Well, good question. I'm glad you asked that. Jesus offers a tender response, which is signaled by the fact that he says, Martha, Martha. See, the fact that he says it twice shows emotion and he wants to get her 
attention. Just like when Jesus lamented, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or how about when King David said, Absalom, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Martha, Martha. See, Jesus sees a woman whom he loves, and she is distracted, she is anxious, she's troubled about many things, and she's forgetting the one person which is necessary. Yet, in spite of us, Jesus, who is full of grace, full of mercy, full of steadfast love, slow to anger, will take the time to care for his dear sister's heart, whom he loves. So Jesus gives a gentle course correction to Martha and helps her get her priorities in order. Because here's the deal. Serving's not the problem. It's her heart in the midst of that serving that's the problem. Serving's good, but it's not primary. It's not of first importance. So Jesus, not missing the opportunity to care for her heart, reminds us all right now in verse 42, but one thing is necessary One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which would not be taken away from her. Jesus reminds Martha, Martha, listen, one thing, one thing is necessary. And then he commended Mary's choice. And I love that he uses the word, by the way, the good choice was to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive his teaching. Mary's choice, that good portion, or the right meal. (laughs) I love his words there. He's saying, she's chose the right meal. I'm, I'm serving up a portion. She's, she's receiving. See, the thing you're whipping up in the kitchen, I'm thankful for that, but it's not eternal. This one, this will never be taken away from her in this life or in the life that is to come. So Christian, there are many good things that you and I, we can do and we should, but only one thing is necessary. The words of Jesus are the only good thing that is substantial, satisfying, and lasting. So choose the good portion. Choose to sit at the feet of your Lord and to receive his word humbly. Because Jesus tells us in Luke 21, 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus reminds us that creation is less permanent than the truth of his words and his teaching. So the natural diagnostic question we should all ask ourselves in this moment right now is, am I, are you, are we choosing that good portion first and foremost in our lives? See, I can't can't help but think this is such a good, timely message. I mean, the word of God is always good, and it's always in the right time. But we're in the midst of the, the hustle and the bustle of the holiday Christmas season, right? I mean, trust me, I know. I worked 18 years within the retail industry, and I, well, I saw a lot of distracted, anxious, troubled people. Heck, I was one of them. Even though I fought it like a ninja, I would come into this place dragging in January. Does that mean you did not read your Bible throughout the month of December, Pastor Scott? No, 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 I did. But there's something great that happens when we gather and we sing collectively as a church. But I'd come running on fumes. 
You know what I'm talking about here, right? I mean, you feel like you're being pulled in a thousand directions during the Christmas season. It begins at the beginning of November. Your schedule starts to fill up with all the wonderful things that we could possibly do. And then the Black Friday deals, they just come at you from every angle. It used to be only on TV, but no, 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 no. Now it's in your inbox. Now it's on your Twitter. Now it's on your Facebook. And even your friends will let you know. They'll repost it, this and that. (sighs) Right? No one knows. See, it seems to start earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? And and the next thing you know, you're being tossed to and fro. You feel like you're in some kind of tornado getting tossed to and fro. You're dizzy from it all. Oh, but we've just begun. (laughs) We have just begun because, oh, the, the gifts. Okay, now it starts the gifts, the cards, the gift cards, the menus, the decorations. How about shopping, door busters, and blowouts, whiny kids, Work parties, family parties, extended family parties, friends parties, community group parties, eating all the time. And this is in addition to already the crazy schedule that we try to maintain. (sighs) Sorry if I stressed you out. Because you all still have those things to do. Me too. And before we know it, we're worn out. We're worn out. Full of anxiety and weary. And then in the faint distance, we hear Paul McCartney sing, The party's on, the feeling's here, that only comes this time of year. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply have... Yeah, I'm not on the worship team, don't worry. (laughs) A wonderful Christmas time? What? Bah humbug, I give in, I tap out. Listen, don't fool yourselves to thinking this doesn't happen to you. It happens to you, but let's be honest, it doesn't just happen at Christmas time. It doesn't. It happens a lot of times throughout the year because our culture is a culture of doers. We're just a culture of doers. We wear being worn out as some badge of honor in our culture. We even say dumb things like, well, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. dun dun da And it's silliness. It's just silliness. It really is. We're a just-do-it kind of people. And uh, I can't help but think, even as we're reading the Scriptures today, there were probably a few of you who might have even said, yeah, Jesus, tell Mary, tell her to get up. By the way, you're Martha. (laughs) Um, I mean, right? Because really what we should be doing is saying, come on, Jesus, tell Martha to sit down. Yeah, we're messed up. We're messed up. But there's good news. There's good news. You know, we get distracted, and that leads to being spiritually depleted and running on fumes. And instead of taking the time to sit at the feet of Christ and have our hearts filled with his love, we attempt to fill ourselves up on Red Bull, hoping that will give us wings. But it, but it won't. Now, I'm, I'm nothing against Red Bull. Drink Red Bull to the glory of God. But I'm saying, if you're, if you're saying, I don't need to rest... I'm saying, no, you need to sit, Scott Rising. You need to sit and fill up on what's lasting. You know, it's been said that if Satan cannot get you to sin, he will keep you busy. And I know that's true in my own life. You know, in the midst of all this chaos, though, what we need to hear is the voice of our good shepherd say, Martha, Martha. Or how about we place your name there, Scott Scott, listen, all these things are good, buddy, but one thing's necessary. One thing, Scott Rising, you choose that good portion. 
to sit at my feet. Church, we must be careful not to fill up our hands and our schedule before we take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to receive the words of Jesus, and to rest in the righteousness of Christ. The mantra of our culture is just do something, but the mantra of Christianity is antithetical to that. It is, it is finished. Rest in the finished work of Christ. See, question, question, is your life marked more by what you do or by what Christ has done on your behalf? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Weak and weary sinners, go to Jesus. Go to him. This is not some seven new steps so that you can have your best Christmas now. Go to Christ. Go to him. You're weak. You're tired. Jesus is the answer to all the things that weigh us down, to all the things that burden us. What we need to hear in that moment is the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Come to me, he says, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take upon my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he says. Man, isn't that like a cool drink on a hot day? Come to me, he says. Jesus says, come to me. But what does coming to him mean is a good question you should be asking. Well, it simply means to come to him, to believe he is who he says he is, and he's able to do what he says he's able to do. It's to cast yourself upon him. Will you believe that? Will you do that? Will you trust him? Will you go to him in your moments of your weakness? Come to me, he says. Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. I am full of grace, Jesus says. He says, trust in me with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You're weak, you're weary, you think you can get yourself out of this? You can't. That's your own understanding. Come to me, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a declaration. That's a promise It will happen. Only Jesus can satisfy your weary soul. Yet, if Jesus is promising us rest in this moment and telling us to put upon his yoke, isn't that an interesting thought? A yoke. Put on a yoke. A yoke is a piece of equipment that goes over the the head of two animals and attaches to their neck so that they can pull a, a, a cart or a plow so that they can get work done. So Jesus... Are you offering us rest here? That seems like it's going to be work. Aren't I to be like Mary and just sit at your feet all day long and do nothing? Not like Martha, who's out there just serving away. Well, Jesus answers this question because he was asked one that was very similar in John 6, 28 and 29, when they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? Well, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he continues in John 15, 4 and 5, he says, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears 
much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. So that's, okay, let me get this right, Jesus. So believing and abiding, it's like relationship, continuing in, sitting at your feet, filling up on the love of Christ so that I can then go out to this world and pour out. Is that what you're telling me, Lord, to stick close to you? That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing that has any eternal value, church. We need him. It's faith. And by the way, without it, you cannot, I cannot please him. Trust and obey. Follow. Sit at the feet. Brothers and sisters, there's one thing that's necessary. It's to receive the Lord. To choose the good portion. To sit daily and receive him. To pray. To talk to him. To worship him. To enjoy him. And then serve from the overflow of the heart that is full of his love. Now listen, for those of you here that are not trusting in Jesus, and I'm saying I know there's got to be some of you here because I myself sat in a church for over a year and heard preaching as an unbeliever. Will you allow me to ask you a question? I'm going to ask it either way, but I'm asking your permission because I want you to think on it. I'm not asking so, well, no, I don't allow you. Okay, next thing. Here's my question. What are the trillion things that you're choosing in this life which are not necessary in exchange for the one person that is necessary? What are the trillion things that you're choosing? And if you think, well, that's a tough question. Jesus actually asked a much more difficult one. In Luke 9.25, he says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here's the deal. If you're too busy in this life to enjoy God, my friend, you will not be too busy to meet him in the next life. That will happen. I don't say that to threaten you. I say that to warn you. If you're not in Christ, you're under the wrath of God. And there's nothing that can take that wrath away except the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you go to him? Will you receive him? Because here's the deal, God loves you, and how do we know that? We see that on the cross, we know that because Jesus said himself, he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, for the joy that was set him, he endured the shame of the cross, and he went, why? Because it was the only way to connect sinful people, which is everybody, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we are all sinners, we are all without hope, there is no way to get life apart from Christ, Jesus says, I am I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. Will you believe this? And if you do, oh, put your faith in him. Put your faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because you are chasing all these things, hoping they'll satisfy you. I got news for you. It's not working. It's not working. They won't satisfy you. You have a God-shaped hole within your heart. It's been said many times, and the only thing that will satisfy you is Christ. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Oh, Jesus is so good. Will you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus? And if you're like, I got everybody fooled, you don't have God fooled. And he can see. Nothing's hidden from his view. Nothing. So come before him. Come 
He says, come to me. He says, listen, we just started what we call Advent uh, in a lot of churches. Some people never talk about it, but it's really just the season that leads up to Christmas, right? You know, the word Advent itself just means arrival or uh, an appearing or coming into place. We as Christians often speak of Jesus' birth, right? That's a good thing. It's Christmas. That's, of course, we're going to talk about. But sometimes we can make the mistake of forgetting he is coming again. There's a second advent. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, in his first coming, Jesus comes as the suffering servant. But in his second coming, he comes Lord of all, King of kings. He's coming He came in humility the first time. He comes bringing wrath for those who are not trusting in him. Grace to those who are. In his first coming, he arrived in the most humble of circumstances. In his second coming, he arrives with the armies of heaven. And let me tell you something. Right from the word of God, he says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So this is first advent. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Oh, don't let that be you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading. Don't let that be you. Receive him. Because see, that verse continues. In John 1.12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We receive the Lord. Receive him for who he is, not who you want him to be, as Lord, as Savior, as the Good Shepherd, as everything. Will you receive him? I'm begging you do. Know this, when he returns, he's returning for those who are anticipating his arrival. See, the good news of the gospel is you get God. You think, well, I want the mansion and this and that. If that's why you're going to heaven, you're not going to heaven. You don't know him. The beauty is face to face, baby. I get Jesus. And he's full of life. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy, and I need him. You need him. I hope you see your need. I hope you receive him. Anticipate his arrival. Church, Christian, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Take the time to sit at the feet of your Savior. He loves you. Rest in what he's provided. Nothing more is needed. Just receive what he has given. But as we walk this life, man, there's many trials and tribulations. And you know what we're going to need? We're going to need a lot of help. And Jesus hasn't left us alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the word of God where we can hear from him. He has given us the ability and the right and the, to talk to him through prayer. Because Jesus is the mediator that connects God to man. So we must take the time to enjoy him. We must take the time to sit at his feet. We must take the time to meditate on the scriptures. We must take the time to hear from him. We must get alone just like Jesus got alone with his father. We must get together so that we can pray and encourage one another. We need all those things because Jesus tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but that by every word that comes from the mouth of God.
His word is the bread that takes away our hunger spiritually. He is the light that just chases away all the darkness, all the disillusionments. He is living water that quenches a thirsty soul. John Piper was quoted one time in saying this. He was asked a question, whether he was really asked this or not, or he just came up with that, I don't know. But he says, how do you glorify a water fountain? Where does this guy come up with this stuff, first off? Who actually thinks about that? John Piper does, apparently. But he says, how do you glorify a water fountain? You know, and I love his answers, because he says, you come thirsty, and you drink. And you drink often. And you keep coming to it. Why? And Jesus, he said, come to me. And drink, and I will give you rest for your weary soul. Church, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people of the word. Let's be a people who drink in deeply the Lord. And let's love this world in which he died to give himself as a ransom. Let's give them Jesus, but we have to have him. We must be filled up or we will just pour out our own flesh. We need his strength. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength this day and every day. And on the days you stumble and fall, and there will be many, hear Jesus say to you, Martha, Martha, one thing's necessary. Choose the good portion. That's what's going to last forever. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.